I'm going to preach this morning. I'm going to share some stuff. And let me just double check. I've got... I edited this talk in between the 9.15 and the 11.30 because it was too long at the 9.15. And I was getting the vibes. And so uh, you have the benefit of their suffering. Hopefully, hopefully. I was just checking. I've got the edited version. All right, where are we? Okay, so... Um, travel back in time to the year 250 AD and uh, a place in North Africa called Carthage and if we were to go back there we would find that the church is up against the ropes in lots of ways there's uh, lots of internal conflict within the church that's pretty difficult Um, there's a leader of uh, the church at the time a guy called Cyprian and he, um, he was trying to guide the church through all of this internal conflict, but also a lot of external conflict. So a lot of people were, were coming after the Christians and um, from the, sort of the government and things like that, uh, there was a lot of aggression. Uh, on top of that, at this time in North Africa, there had been a real horrendous epidemic that had wiped out huge numbers of people. So people were very fearful. People were traumatized because of what they'd experienced. Um, there was also... Uh, Christians who had been on the receiving end of violence at the hand of their their neighbours and who, you know, understandably felt like they wanted to get their own back. Um, when When you've received that sort of stuff, you want to give it back a little bit. So there was that going on in the church. And there was just so many people who were disheartened and who were losing hope. And this guy, Cyprian, had to speak into that situation. Now, if you could put yourself in his shoes, what would you talk about? Um, you know, if you can imagine you're trying to guide your small group through really difficult season, or if you were trying to raise kids in a, in a, a really challenging culture, what would be, if you were to put one thing on your list of, this is what we want to look at, what would it be? Cyprian, um, to my surprise when I read about him, he chose patience. And so he, he did this whole thing uh, that's called the good of patience. And I remember seeing that and thinking, well, that's a really odd thing that he would choose to speak on that particular subject because, um, you know, in my head, patience is the sort of thing that you have to exhibit when you're at a traffic lights um, or when you have kids and you're just trying to get them to do, frankly, anything. Um, but patience, it, 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 we think of it on that level. It's, it's like, oh, we're going to talk about patience. We can think trying not to be irritated by our colleague who is quite annoying. We think of it on that level, but from a biblical Uh, standpoint, a biblical point of view, patience is a much deeper thing. It's a much broader thing. And when the Bible talks about patience, one of the things it's getting at is uh, patience being the ability to stick at something, the ability to endure suffering, to, to keep going through hardship, and not just to keep going through hardship, but to persevere with a smile, to choose not only not to give up, but not to give in to bitterness and to resentment. That's what it means when it talks about patience. And it's something that we are encouraged to practice at lots of different places in the Bible. So um, the Psalms, Psalm 37, talks about waiting patiently on the Lord. One of the fruits of the Spirit, if you look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is patience. Uh, in, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks uh, to us and says that we are to clothe ourselves in patience. Um, we're told in the, in the breakdown of love that we're given in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is first and foremost patient. So patience is something that repeatedly 
um, we're encouraged to practice and to have. And uh, in James chapter 5, James talks about Job. And you might have heard the phrase, the patience of Job, the perseverance of Job, that despite everything he suffered, everything that he went through, he endured. And if you've ever read the message, the way that it paraphrases that particular verse from James chapter 5 is it talks about the staying power of Job. Staying power. And just to give us a little bit of the context for what Christians had to go through, um, our brothers and sisters back in the day. Let me just read a little bit from Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. There's been a whole load of stuff already about how many people have suffered different things, and it continues. So verse 35 of chapter 11 says this. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect." Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. You might want to say let us run with patience. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Patience. Um, I think it's more important than we realize. And, you know, we might say, well, listen, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm not going through anything like that. No, it's it's been a bad week, but nobody has tried to saw me in two in the last week. Why do, I, why do I need this? Well, for us, patience may, may look like more what we have to practice when we're caring for an elderly relative who is just slowly becoming more and more dependent upon us, even though we've got a lot of other demands already in our lives. Patience might be what we have to practice when we are battling in a really difficult situation at work and it's just really painful and we know we're meant to be there, but we don't like being there. Patience might be the sort of thing you have to, you have to display when you start a business and you have this vision of this is how it's going to go and it turns out it's a lot harder than you thought. Patience is the sort of thing that everyone who works in a school is going to have to practice once more tomorrow morning or maybe Tuesday if you're lucky as we go back into the next half of term. And, you know, I don't know if you saw the stuff that did the rounds during COVID where everybody had to homeschool their children. But like there was a campaign that was started that all teachers should be paid a million pounds a year because people realized how hard it was to teach children anything. So patience is what you have to practice if you work in in the front line in the NHS. Patience is what you need if you're trying to buy a house and the property ladder's just stacked against you. Patience is what we need more than we realise. And on top of that, you've got the fact that life throws curveballs at us. The bill that, that was unexpected. The diagnosis that we never saw coming. You've got to endure it. 
On top of that, you've got the fact that we are seeking to follow Jesus at a time when everybody else is walking in the opposite direction. How do we be steadfast in this? How do we stay the course during this? So patience is something that's more important than we realize. And if I can jump for a moment from the book of Hebrews to Rocky Balboa. Um, I was raised on Rocky. Some of you may have never seen the films, but I was born and the franchise uh, kind of like kicked in and probably will still continue long after I'm dead. We'll be on Rocky 37. But uh, there's six Rocky films, and Rocky's this down-and-out boxer who, against the odds, manages to become world champion. And in Rocky V, arguably the worst of all of the films, there is a moment of glory when Rocky is speaking to his 20-year-old son, who's kind of a bit wayward and kind of like, you know, struggling to find his purpose in life. And Rocky, by this point, is a sort of a hardened veteran of life. He's got the map of the world written on his face. You know, he's seen it all. And he's passing on his wisdom to his son. And there's this moment where he just says to him, you know what, son, life isn't all sunshines and rainbows. Uh, he says, life is, is hard. You're going to find the world is a very mean and a very nasty place. And however hard I can hit, life will hit you harder. And to segue to another one of my heroes, Jack Reacher. I don't know how many of you have ever read any of those books or seen the, the series. But Jack Reacher, who's kind of like an action figure type, he has a little saying that is, um, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And I think there is a brutal truth in that. We all have this kind of like plan for life and then life punches you in the face. And it's like, what do I do now? And, uh, and so Rocky is saying to his son, life is going to punch you. Things are not always going to work out how you imagined they were going to. It's going to be harder to raise your kids than you thought. It's going to be more difficult, this relationship than you're into, than, than you imagined. It, it's not going to be straightforward with your health. The, the, life will throw punches at you. And then what he says to his son as he, as he says this to him, is he goes on to say, um, it's, but life is not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and just keep going. It's about how hard, how much you can take and keep moving forward. And uh, there is actually, I would suggest, some wisdom in that. And, and, and the first point, if I'm making a point that I'm saying is, is that we might need patience more than we know. Here's the second point. We can, we can become patient. We can become, it's possible to become people who endure things that we thought were unbearable and still smile, and still have a soft heart. It's possible. And it's not possible because we're awesome and we're just going to do what Rocky tells us. It's possible because these people did it, and their lives were as confusing as ours, worse. They were as broken as we are. They're not superhuman, they're just normal people, but they kept going. How did they do it? Because God was their helper. Because God supplied their lack. This, this is, the, the place this begins is by ditching self-help. This is not a self-help talk. This is not a TED talk. The gospel is the gospel of a God who comes and saves and rescues us. And the reason we can do this is because he's going to help us. In the same way that if Jamie Oliver came to me and said, hey, let's cook a 12-course banquet and this amazing feast for people, I'm pretty confident that Jamie and I will be able to produce that. Not because I can cook, if it were down to me, it would be beans on toast for 12 people. There'd be a lot of beans, but it wouldn't be great. you know. But, but because I'm with him, he's my helper, Jamie's my helper, so we're going to get there. 
And that's the framing for everything. The way we become these people is because we're with him. We look to him for help. That being said, whilst that's the truth, really practically, what can we do when our patience is tested? Some of you have already failed the test today. Probably those of you with small children, probably those of you who are married. Uh, Traditionally, the route to church is the place where you argue the most. Um, And if you feel guilty about that, good, mission accomplished. Um, No, no, How how can we practice patience? Because patience is something that only ever grows when it's tested. We, we, you know, we might have times and, and, and seasons where we're sitting around just sort of thinking, you know, when everything's good. I don't know if you've ever had a day where it all goes right. Um, you know, everything arrives on time. The web speed is very, very good for some reason and you never have to buffer anything. And, you know, everything is like... And at the end of a day like that, sometimes I think, you know what? I'm a pretty nice person. I haven't lost my rag with anybody today. Um, that, that's not patience. Patience is what you practice when it all falls apart. And in that moment of it all falling apart and it not going quite how we imagined, there are certain things that we can do, concrete things, that will help us develop it. And I've got four things that I want to suggest to you that you could do, that I could do, when we need to uh, choose to hang tough. Here's the first one. They're from this passage. And so context is, I'm battling anxiety. Context is, I'm raising teenagers. (laughs) Context is, you know, my job's not gone well. That's the context. How do I stay the the course? Here's the first thing. Number one, look at him. It says here, consider him who endured. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. And if you've ever climbed a mountain, but sometimes when you're hiking up a mountain trail, you, you, you get these walls that have been built deliberately and the purpose of them is when it's windy, you can, you know, you're hiking and it's like you're getting blasted everywhere and blown everywhere and it's, everything's harder because you're going sometimes against the wind. And the idea of this literally is just a curved wall is that you hop in behind the curved wall every mile or two and you just have a, you have a, a chill, you have a break. You're protected from the wind, the prevailing wind, by the walls. So suddenly you're not having to deal with that. And you can gather yourself. You can have a drink. You can check the map. You can eat a snack. You just collect yourself for a moment. And then you step back out again into the wind. And and life does feel sometimes like you're being buffeted by a wind. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's not easy. And one of the things to do in in, in a circumstance like that is to choose to come into, as it were, the shelter for a moment. And what I mean by that is choose to consider the truth. Choose to consider him. Let this, let who he is be a windbreaker against the hardships of the world. Step away from the crazy for a moment. And in the quietness and the stillness, delight in him. We were singing about him just a moment ago, the one who bleeds. A God who bleeds? A God who who weeps? How can it be? How can it be? It's it's enjoying him again. And as we look at him, the one who endured Jesus and all that he went through, I think, honestly, in the same way that if you eat food, strength comes into your body. In the same way that if you sleep, strength comes into your soul. And there's having looked at him for a while and enjoyed him, not in the way that you study like a a book, but in the way that you just admire somebody you love. Then 
strength returns. You can step back out and keep going. Consider him, number one. Here's the second thing that we can do if we want to endure. Look at the saints. Uh, it, It talks here about, it says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. If you've you ever seen the Olympics, what you'll notice is that they, they give interviews to the winning athletes, often after a, um, a race. And one of the things that athletes will sometimes say is they'll, talk, they'll say, particularly when it's a home Olympics and they're the home you know, team, they'll say, the crowd in this place, they carried me. Literally, as I was coming down that final stretch, I heard the roar of the crowd and it's like they just fed me and I was carried on their, on their cheers to the end, like the adrenaline. Sometimes they say that in tennis matches as well. Thank you to the crowd in here who've just been cheering me all the way on. And there is a power in having people shout your name, in having people champion you. And I think we forget because we're so tuned into the discouragement that there is around us in the world. And my goodness, there's a lot of that doing the rounds. As we're so tuned into the discouragement in the world, we can tune out of the encouragement that there is from the cloud of witnesses that surround us. The two billion souls on this planet who also call Jesus Lord. The billions who've gone ahead of us, who've run the race before us, who from their distance, the vantage of the finishing line, look back and they champion and cheer our name. Listen to them speaking. And we say, well, how do I do that? What does that sound like? The silent roar of the cloud of witnesses. It sounds like seeing their lives in part. And for me, there's few things more inspiring than reading the stories of those who've who've gone ahead of us. There's not a single one where their life was easy. There's not a single one where it never went wrong. Those, those stories do not exist in the lives of the followers of Jesus. And I remember, um, I don't know if you've ever seen that film, Chariots of Fire. You know that sort of I won't reenact it in slow motion for you. But it's about this guy, Eric Liddell, who ran in the Olympics in 1924. And uh, it became a story because he was a follower of Jesus And in those days, to do anything on a Sunday when you were a follower of Jesus was like you didn't do it. And it just so happened, he'd been training for the 100 meters in the Olympics, and it so happened that the 100 meter final fell on the day that was a Sunday. And so everybody tried to persuade him to make an exception. Come on, it's not that big a deal. You know, just do it for your country, all that sort of stuff. But he, he steadfastly refused to run the 100 meters. He said, I won't do it. It's a Sunday. In his eyes, that wasn't the right thing to do. So he refused. And instead, he booked himself in for the 400 meters, which he'd never competed in. And um, what happened was he ended up not only winning the 400 meters, but setting a world record and getting the, obviously getting the Olympic gold medal. So it becomes this amazing story of somebody who's faithful in that sense. And then it comes good. And The Chariots of Fire, you know, it's a great movie, but what it doesn't tell you, and I found this out from reading a story of his life, is that not that long after, he, he ended up becoming a missionary and he went as a missionary to China. And he, uh, he with his family, served people there. He told people about Jesus. But then the world war started and he, he ended up um, sending his family to safety and he was kept, he stayed. To, he didn't feel like he could abandon those God had called him to serve, so he stayed. And he ended up in a concentration camp. And um, his wife and their two daughters left on the boat. And his wife was pregnant at the time, so there was an unborn uh, child as well. And they would write each other letters from, from this camp. And uh, the story doesn't have, on one level, a happy ending because that's where he died. At the age of 43, he died of a brain tumor. This, uh, this Olympic athlete, this gold medalist, that's how it all ended. 
And you can think, well, what's encouraging about that as a story? That doesn't sound very inspiring, does it? But, but when you read the story and the account of the way that he conducted himself in those final months and years of his life, they talk about how he would, he would worship in the camp. And they would hear him, the other prisoners, even as they witnessed his kindness, they would also hear his worship. And he would sing words like, be still my soul, your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to joyful end. And and for me, I read his story and I think, wow. He ran the race for 400 meters and got a gold medal, and that's amazing. But actually, the race that mattered, the race that was hidden, he ran that one well, and he finished worshipping. It didn't end how you might hope, much as it didn't end for these people in the book of Hebrews, how they might have hoped it would end. But, but he ended worshipping still. And, and that doesn't mean that we don't get to moan at God. Let me be clear about that. This book fully endorses moaning. As a British people, we should be giving thanks for that because we're very good at it. You know, there's a lot of people complaining to God. There's a lot of people saying, why have you let this happen? And where are you? And why aren't you doing this? We do that as well. It's a good thing to do that. We bring it to him and we're honest about our pain, but still at the end of it, still at the end of all of that, we still choose, I'm going to be tender towards you. I'm going to be soft-hearted, though I don't understand the incomprehensible ways of God. I don't understand why this is happening, and yet still I will choose to praise you. And for me, as I think of the cloud of witnesses, I, I personally don't just think of these stories of these people who've gone ahead of us. I think of the people in this community. I think of the people in this church. And I know, not everybody's story, but I know enough to know that there are folk here who have been through just darkest of times, just real horrendous pain, losing children that, should, you know, that you, you would never want to wish that upon anybody, uh, losing partners, suffering grief, losing um, jobs, having, having th- relationships that have broken down in the most painful and confusing of ways, struggling to pay the rent at the end of the month. And, and one of the things that moves me to tears at times is that I still see people who I know that's what's going on in their lives and I still see them turning up and choosing to worship. And I tell you what, more than anything, I still see them caring for other people. And that's where I really, I really am challenged and inspired because when I've got issues, the only person I tend to care about is me. But I, I see people who are going through very difficult things and yet choosing to look out for others. And that is the cloud of witnesses Our brothers and sisters, look to the right, look to the left. How do we hear their roar? Just be here. Look around, get to know one another. We'll we'll hear it. And the roar says, keep going, you can do it. Number three, what do we practice as we want to keep going in the hard times? We practice this. Look at this as an opportunity. One of the uh, lines from this passage I read that fascinates me is uh, where it says, Some of them who were tortured refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. I mean, I I don't have time to unpack that, even if I understood it. But one of the things about it that strikes me is they refused to be released. Uh, They saw what they were going through as an opportunity of some kind. And when we begin to reframe it like that, actually hardship and challenge can become for us an opportunity. Um, this is a bit weird, but like I, re- I read this thing about how uh, in the 1930s, 
there was this book that was published about how to develop patience. And uh, it, it literally suggested people, a proper book called Strength of Will and How to Develop It, um, it suggested that people put themselves through a series of artificial exercises in order to increase their patience level. Um, so some genuine exercises that were suggested. You can scatter, co- 50, scatter 50 coins on the floor and slowly and quietly pick them up and place them in a pile. Do this for several days, increasing the number of coins as you go. The second exercise that was suggested is go through a 150-page book and mark each page with a pencil. Just literally go turn the page and mark it, turn the page and mark it. Another exercise that was suggested was, you know, beginning with the number one, count out loud slowly and deliberately for 10 minutes. And you think, what is the point of this? There's no point to it. Exactly, there's no point. And that's why it's a test of your patience. You're, you're trying to develop your patience. And honestly, when I read that, I thought, gosh, the author of Strength and Will and How to Develop in the 1950s did not need a 150-page book. He needed one toddler. And that would have done the job for him, right? You don't need to drop 150 coins or whatever it is. My toddler will trash your house in 10 minutes. And then you will have to slowly and deliberately pick it all back and put it all back into place. And then you'll do it all over again. Um, But it's like, what that's getting at is, hey, create opportunities for yourself to develop this attribute. Life does that for you, I would suggest. But, But what we miss is the fact that there are opportunities for us. How would it change things if when we went through something hard, rather than begging to be released from it, we said, no, I'm going to see this as a chance to grow. How can I become more like you, Lord, in this season? How can I develop my patience? What does it look like to endure this well? How can I do it with a smile? And finally, if we look at the one who's gone ahead of us, who's endured, and we listen to the crowd that surround us, the witnesses who've also seen his faithfulness in the hardest of times, and we hear their voice cheering us on. And if we choose to see this, this putting one foot in front of the other as an opportunity to develop strength and grace, here's the final thing that we can do if we wanna endure. Look at the finish line. I've just been watching this series on Netflix, which is an interview with sports coaches. And the first one, they give their sort of guides for life. The first one is this guy called Doc Rivers, who's a basketball coach in America. And he talks about a time when he was growing up, he was young and he was at school, and the teacher gave them this exercise, and it was go right on the blackboard what you want to be when you're older. So he, he went up to the blackboard, picked up a chalk and wrote, pro basketball player. And the teacher, he said, immediately grabbed the eraser, rubbed it off, gave him the chalk back and said, write something realistic on the board. And so he went up to the board with the chalk again and he wrote, pro basketball player. And his teacher lost it with him and she sent him home. And then his dad, uh, he said, walked him back to the school and his dad was just sort of, you know, having a go at him and he was saying, you're never going to amount to anything, you know, like you never listen, you're always messing around in school, blah, 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 like, you know, having a proper go. And then his dad finally calmed down as they arrived at the school and his dad just looked at him and said, look, it is a great goal if you have that as a goal. Maybe it's too early to decide that one right now. I try and explain that to my kids. I say to Josiah, who's eight, what do you want to be when you're old? He says, professional football player. I rub that off the whiteboard as soon as I can, you know. What do you want to do next? Professional gamer. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm not sure where to go. But he's like, look, it's probably too early to decide that as a goal right now, he says to his son. But, um, you know, but here's the thing. Whatever you finally decide, and maybe it is that, whatever you finally decide, finish the race. Stick at it. Doc Rivers goes back into the classroom 
the lesson's still going on. The teacher hands him a chalk. What do you want to be? He goes up and he writes, pro basketball player. And he does it. And his first lesson in life is finish the race. And I suppose let's hear that as a challenge for us. Whatever race you are running right now, whether it's as a parent or it's as a spouse or it's as someone who's doing a particular thing in work, a vocation that you've got, is it over yet? And if it isn't, make sure you finish it. Don't quit. Don't walk away before it's time. Finish the race. And we might say, well, well, how can I do it? It's so hard. I feel so discouraged. I feel like I've let myself down. More than that, how can I do it? Because I don't feel like anybody even notices what this costs me and what I give to making this happen. Nobody even seems to pay attention to it. A final story as we finish. It's about this missionary couple. And they had been working in Africa for years. And they were, um, this is years ago now. And they booked themselves, they're finally done. Um, they went back to America, which is where they were from. And they were heading back to New York to retire. They had no pension. Their health was, was in a bad way. And, uh, you know, they just went back home feeling discouraged and defeated and afraid. Now, they happened to be traveling on uh, the same boat as the then president of the United States, Teddy, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt. And he was returning from a big hunting expedition. And uh, no one obviously paid any attention to this old missionary couple, but everyone was like, wow, the president is here. And they all tried to get a glimpse of him. And wherever he went, there was a big entourage. And, um, you know, and as the ship went across the ocean, the old missionary, the man, said to his wife at one point, you know, something's wrong. We've, we've given our lives in faithful service to God, and no one cares about us, but this guy, who's just coming back from a hunting trip, everyone wants to hang out with him. So something about that doesn't feel right, and you know, nobody gives, gives two hoots about us, is what he said to his wife. And his wife said to him, dear, you shouldn't feel that way, in a typically sympathetic manner. You shouldn't feel that. And he just says, well, I can't help it. It doesn't feel right to me. Anyway, they, the ship docks in New York, and there's a big band there waiting for the president. The mayor is there. All the big, you know, the big wigs are there to welcome them. And no one's there for this old couple. And they end up renting a, a, a flat on the cheap side of New York, the east side of New York, and hoping that they'll be able to find a way of making a living. And that night, this man is just really low. And he just says to his wife again, I just can't take this. God's, God's not treating us fairly. And she says to him, why don't you go into the bedroom and talk to the Lord about it? Which is what my wife says to me whenever I'm moaning about something as well. Go into the bedroom, talk to the Lord. So he does that. He goes into the bedroom and a short time later he comes out and his whole demeanor has changed and he just looks so much lighter and she says, what happened? And he said, the Lord's settled it with me. I was in there and I was talking to him about how bitter I felt and how, you know, we're coming home and there's the president coming home and he gets home and he gets a band and he gets this and he gets all the frills and everybody's, he gets all the glory and we don't get any of it. We've arrived home. No one's even here to welcome us. We've got no money. We've got no prospects. And I just moaned about all of this stuff. As I said, this is what I arrived home to. And then I just felt like the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and whispered into my ear, you're not home yet. And for those of us who feel like this has been such a slog and where's the glory? 
this has been so hard and, and where's the fulfillment? Note the fact that for lots of these people, they didn't always see the fulfillment, but they hadn't got home yet. And I would say to myself, as I say to you, you're not home yet. And what we can say with confidence from this book is that when you get home, there will be such a welcome that you will know deep in your soul every step I took on that road, every decision I made that was the hard one, every time I chose to stick at it because I knew this was what the Lord wanted of me, because I knew this was what it was to live for him and to lay my life down for him. Every single step I took, however hard it felt, it was worth it. It was worth it. We'll know it then. Even as we expect it now, we will know it beyond all doubt then. How do we keep going? How do you run the race faithfully? Look to him. Listen to the cloud of witnesses. Remember, this thing could be an opportunity. And then just finish. Just keep choosing to keep going and finish.